I'm so excited for you to hear Lindsay Pinchuk, CEO and founder of Dear Found Her, a community of online entrepreneurs, women founders that are really growing their businesses through her online community. She's going to talk to us today about how to grow her business through the internet and what digital marketing has done to her in her past career where she started and sold a big business and now in this 2.0 as she calls it. Listen in. Okay, Lindsay, I'm so excited. I've been anxiously waiting this episode. Me too. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks oh, for thanks having for me. making time. Of course. Okay, you are a serial entrepreneur in my book. Um, anybody who starts something, sells something, and then right away turns around and starts more um, is serial. So good for you. Uh, congratulations on the sale of Bump Club. Thank you. Really monumental. Um, I think the most important thing that I'd like to just have you say, what did you create such that when you sold your company, you were basically able to turn it over and you weren't tied to a long-term earn out or hold back. So I, it's, oh, that is a little bit of a falsification, okay. right? Because I was a little bit tied to it, but, and I'll explain, I'll explain what you that explain. means. So I created a company that was a community and it was a community of 3 million parents and parents to be per month that came to us to be connected with resources and products and information and really and truly each other. So it was very much in person before the pandemic. And when the pandemic hit, we had to really pivot. We went online and all of our activations were virtual. So ultimately, when I was sought for sale, they wanted me, the company who bought me wanted me because of my relationship with Target. So they wanted to get into Target and Baby. They were doing stuff in beauty and I was preventing them from doing that. And so that is why essentially they bought me. Now, you said, how could I have moved on? Well, they didn't do the best job. I'm going to be very candid here. They didn't do the best job preparing for me to leave, if that makes yeah, sense. I mean, I, I was the face of this company. I mean, I was the person that people would come to Bump Club and they would see my face. I was telling someone today, I was like, I get DMs all the time from people who find me on Instagram. And they're like, there you are. Where'd you go? Like, I, I didn't know that you had left. So I don't know that it was such a clean break, at, but my goal for them was really to set it up so that I didn't have to be the face anymore because mm -hmm. yeah. I wasn't a young mom anymore. And that was why I wanted to leave. Like I did not want to be tied to a business that was pushing strollers and car seats and safe sleep when my kids were in elementary school and middle school. It didn't make sense. It didn't feel authentic. I built a business off of me, my life, and the person I am and my authenticity. My goal for them was really to turn it over to another group of new moms. And I put that in place before I left. Whether they executed that or not was out of my hands. Yeah, we have a similar situation. Um, so when we got bought, we got bought primarily because of the relationship with Amazon. Okay. We didn't know it exactly at the time. And when you got bought, you said it was because of the relationship at Target. How'd you get into Target as a small company? So the interesting thing was, was that I didn't have a product. So, exactly. which is also very interesting because yeah. I was, quote, in Target. So Target reached out to us in 2012. We were doing events in Minneapolis. We were doing events in Chicago for parents and parents-to-be in Austin, Texas. And then I had a woman in Minneapolis who had reached out to me and they, she said, all my friends in Chicago are coming to Bump Club. I want to bring Bump Club to Minneapolis. And so we worked out a deal. It wasn't exactly a franchise, but we worked out a deal and we started doing events. Well, Everyone in Minneapolis works for either Target, General Mills, or Best Buy when it's all yep. said and done. So we were found by Target, 
and they had a huge initiative with their baby registry at the time, and they wanted to build community surrounding their baby registry. And so they basically called upon us to come on in and create educational events for parents and parents-to-be who were registering for products. And when I say there were tests, I mean, if you think a product tests a lot on shelves at Target, we tested for probably three years wow. in different like scenarios with what we were teaching, what we were bringing in, what was the revenue stream for us as in Bump Club? How was Bump Club going to make money? Because I obviously was not going to just put on free events at Target. So there was a lot of testing that went on in different markets and different <laughs> stores. And, and ultimately, it proved to be a very big success, so much so that that was why I was bought. And we were about to execute our largest activation with Target. It was a seven-figure activation, and it was supposed to start March 21st, 2020 in 300 stores. It was my largest post-acquisition activation. It didn't happen, but I said, we're not losing this money. We're not losing this revenue. And I turned it virtual. And Target ended up buying into the virtual program and buying into it through 2020. They bought it again in 2021, and they bought it again in 2022. So... Wow. Even though I wasn't there, they yeah. did buy into it. So it ended up being a probably more than three and a half million dollar program for Bump Club. Okay, so walk me through the revenue model in a when you're building a community. So when you're building a community, there are multiple ways that you can make money. The way that we were set up was very much like a magazine. So then, and that's my background too. Prior to that, I worked in, in magazine sales. So we had our audience in our community, the people, which were the circulation essentially, they would buy tickets to come to certain events. But not every event was a paid event, right? They weren't all ticketed. Some of them were free. So we had these paid events and it did generate a nice handful of revenue, especially when you're looking at 500 people paying 50 to $100. That's a nice chunk of change. But then we had the sponsors. And so that was our advertisers. So we had sponsors that sponsored not only our events, but we had sponsors who spon eventually sponsored digital activations, digital programming, our emails. And then obviously when the pandemic hit, everything was virtual and we were reaching millions and millions of people. We also did a whole big data acquisition play with brands like Huggies and there were a couple of others who hired us for digital campaigns that elicited emails for them. Wow. And so they were paying us for that as well. So. So when you, you're, I mean, just before we segue to what you're doing now, you had the community bump club. What, how is a company like that valued when someone buys you? It's a really hard valuation and it's different than anything that I, I talk. I mean, I talked to so many people when I was selling my company and it's really hard to place a value on something like that. You look at your revenue and then you look at your projection for growth. So essentially the company who bought me bought a projection of growth. They also bought all of my social media handles, and the biggest, quote, asset they bought was my email list, which was about 150,000 people. So that was kind of like the big thing that I gave them. I mean, there was no computers, there were no products, there was there was no office, I mean, there was no yeah. building, there was nothing. And you so, were by yourself? There were no associates? No. Um, well, I was the sole owner, but I had 10 employees 10 at the employees. time of okay. sale. So um, at that time, I had 10 employees. And did they all go to work for them? Everyone but one came, the one that didn't had moved, and that was the only reason why she wasn't coming. Everyone moved over. It was a kind of seamless process. Actually, they did a really good job moving everyone over, and um, you know, I fought very hard to really keep the environment and keep everything the way that it was. I mean, I built a 
business to employ moms. And it was really important to me that we were still very mom friendly, that our culture was the same, and that did change over time. But that was part of the sale as well. So not not a revenue, uh, not a multiple of EBITDA, uh, multiple of some kind of forecasted revenue? Yes. Wow. Yes. And I'm sorry that I am not being more forthcoming. Yeah, no, I, I am I, still tied to some contracts. Of course, but yeah. I did, I got a lump sum on the front end and there was an earnout. Okay. So you, then it wasn't too long that you kind of had decided that wasn't going to be the rest of your life and you started Dear Found Her. Tell us about um, what, I mean, you're back building a community, what's different um, and what are the goals associated? So the interesting thing is, is I was, I've been building Dear Found Her alongside this consulting practice of mine. and. I didn't think they really intersected until they did. You know, I mean, it's kind of, it, I, it was not an accident. Like the first time Bump Club was definitely an accident. It was, I was not like, I want to be an entrepreneur. Here's a plan. Like that happened and then it grew and it grew and I don't half-ass things. So we just went all out with that. This was definitely more planned. I knew I wanted to start a podcast. That was the first thing. I did not do it when I was at Bump Club because one, I didn't want to do it in the parenting space. And two, I was very worried that if I did it, they were gonna hold it in my non-compete and then I wasn't gonna be able to start a podcast. So I just kind of, they kept, people kept bringing it up and I kind of kept pushing it off. But I knew when I started this 2.0 that I wanted to do some kind of podcast to support female founders because I just didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was supported when I started. I mean, it was 2010, it was a very different time. So I, when I left Bump Club, I started consulting immediately. That was, I sent out an email, I said, I'm taking clients. Well, what are you taking clients? And I was like, whatever you want. <laughs> I mean, literally, I said, whatever you want. And I, by the end of the month, I had three clients. And they were all different. Like, one, I was doing social media strategy. One, I was helping her build her personal brand. And one was a startup, and I was helping them build their membership community. So very different, all things that I did with Bump Club. And it kind of just, you know, word of mouth. I was getting clients, and then I started coaching because people couldn't hire me to consult. So I started coaching, and then I developed a class that I put together and I started teaching that and that was awesome. And then at the same time, I was like, I'm gonna start Dear Founder. So I started the podcast in, I started planning for it, I'm trying to think, in October of 2021. I started interviewing people. And I interviewed probably 30 to 40 people before I launched my first episode in January. So when I launched it, I was like, okay, I'm gonna put this out into the world, four episodes, and then we'll do one a week. What happened was I put it out into the world and all of my network and my contacts and my social media accounts, and I started getting pitched, like, excessively. And I, I was like, I can't keep up with this. So we started doing two episodes a week. And at the time, it was really just a place for me to be a thought leader, to share my advice. I kind of kept saying, as long as I'm helping one person, that's all that matters, right? As long as I'm helping one person. Well, I ended up getting clients from it, and I started seeing it for more than what it was, which was just a podcast. It's become my largest source of revenue for my business. I've had guests hire me on projects. I've had listeners refer me to people. I've had listeners call me for coaching. I've had listeners take my classes. So it's really proven to be a huge source of revenue. And I know I was telling you this before, it kind of like has just clicked recently, which is really nice. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm building this amazing community. And we have all these women who are talking to each other in a Facebook group. They talk to each other on my posts. They talk to me. They answer my emails. 
And it's become a lifeline for me. You know, I started Bump Club when I was pregnant for me. And I'm doing this as I'm starting my 2.0. And a lot of the women who are following me are also starting their 2.0s, which I know you're very familiar with. Yeah, so. it's fascinating because I think um, I never really positioned in my mind how the social media play is really becomes your, I mean, everybody knows that your website's your biggest lead gen, but if you are really active, um, this is the way you're speaking to just a much bigger audience. So what kind of fulfillment do you get out of having, you know, we, we talk a lot about, you know, face-to-face, -face, you know, this podcast could have been all zoomed in and all done virtually, but I'm old, so I want to face-to-face. You're not old. <laughs> I want to face-to-face. I love face. that you do it face-to-face. I, I think I it's, do. it's just there's a um, trajectory of the relationships and something that doesn't ignite on Zoom. A lot of people really get a ton of value personally on these online communities. Is that something that really resonates for you? Yeah, and I mean, it happened at Bump Club and it's definitely happening now. I watched in my first cohort that I taught, what are we in 2023? So it was February, 2022. I watched these women like connect, not just over our Zooms, cause I was teaching, so it wasn't really there. It was more in the Facebook group that I had. And a lot of them have gone on to be on each other's podcasts. They've gone on to do marketing partnerships together. They've done swaps of various kinds. I, I Someone told me the other day, she's like, I literally met like three of my closest people in my new network from you and your class. So I do see it happening online, but I will say I made a very big point this year, and I'm, I'm doing it now more often, to go to New York because I was like, I, I have all these people who are on my podcast and I've never met them in person. I talk to them online, we text, we email. I need to meet these people in person. So I went and I spent three days in New York. I have a lot of friends there. It was very personally fulfilling as well. And I just did back-to-back -back meetings all day for three days. That trip alone has elicited three or four clients for me because that personal connection is just invaluable, yeah. absolutely invaluable. And I've had a couple of those people refer me to other people. So, you know, I do think it's important, even if you're doing something virtually, to take it offline, to take it in person. That's why I built Bump Club. I built Bump Club because I didn't want to go on Meetup. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to meet moms in a chat room. No, thank you. Like, I, I wanted real friends. Yeah. So I do think there has to be this hybrid. It's almost like if you think of the sales process, you know, the seven touches till you get to close, you're like accelerating some of that through all the digital marketing that you're doing. But at the end of the day, you can still close them, but maybe to get repeat customers and referral and net promoters, it's that face-to-face, -face, yeah. somehow that further connection. But you're doing all the trust building in such a scalable way that you can scale your business. Yes. So how long will it be before you get like employees? I don't know. You know, it's interesting because this week, actually, I signed like three big contracts. And so, and I have, so, so I have three big projects starting in the next couple of weeks. They're all things that I can definitely manage, but... The other stuff, which is my podcast, which is my marketing, that I am probably going to need some help. Now, I do have a podcast agency that does all the production on my on my podcast. They create my assets, they put it out for me, um, they produce it, everything. I also have a virtual assistant that does some of my assets and some of my website for Dear Founder. I will probably up her hours, like soon. That's and but in terms of employees, I don't know. We'll see. It's funny because we always, um, you know, we sell something, then you have to deliver, which is exactly right. what you're talking about. And then marketing goes to the back burner. 
I'm always wondering because really your skill is so strong at marketing. Have you ever thought about, no, I'm going to continue to market and I'm going to hire a project manager to deliver? It's just something to think about because it is. we all get in this trap of hunt, 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 close a bunch of stuff underwater, can't hunt anymore. And then it's the balance of how do you get the pipeline reconnected? Absolutely. Again. And that has been something that I'm trying to figure out. Like yeah. That's been probably the biggest hurdle that I've had to overcome over the last year was how do I continue to build my pipeline? How do I continue to build a wait list, especially for my coaching services? Like I'm capped at the moment. Um, I think I took my last client until probably July, like this week. So do I make a wait list? Do I do a group coaching class? Like I think there's, I think it's ever evolving to yeah. be honest. And I think a big thing for me is that I don't want to have a team of 10 people. I just don't. Like, I, I'm okay if I have a few projects and, like, make some money and I, you know, and I'm doing well and I build up this community. Eventually, I would like Dear Found Her to get to a point like Bump Club where we are having events, it's self-sustaining, we're getting revenue from sponsors, and maybe I don't have to consult and coach as much. But that, at the moment, is keeping the lights on. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I think a lot of our listeners are early-stage entrepreneurs, and so they... Um, they hear what you say, which I've said too many times is, you know, if I could double our business, but it required double the people, I'm probably not in, you know, we're at 55, great number, but you know, it, there's, it's, it's a, it's a challenging part of yeah. my day to day sometimes. So you're saying the same thing. Like I might have to stay at a certain size, have a wait list, have people not get the service they need because keeping it small is really where you are right now. I think a lot of the entrepreneurs that are listening to this are at the early stage where they have to yeah. keep selling and growing and pay the light bulbs. And the only way to do that, I think, is to hire. Because, a thousand percent. You know, you can only, you can tap out as a solopreneur. A thousand percent. So what would you say to somebody young when they're thinking about, you know, they've got a consulting business or any kind of business that they do themselves, what's the evaluation model you did before you started hiring? You have to hire people who complement your skills. Do not hire people who know know how to do what you do. I would never hire someone who knows how to build a, mar a marketing strategy. That's what I do. That's what I do for clients. But I would hire someone on a lower level who could execute it because my time is probably better spent doing the bigger picture stuff than the execution. But for me, for example, like the first thing I did, I do, oh, I have a bookkeeper too, was hire a bookkeeper because I want not, not nothing, but you know, I just, Don't that is not my strong suit. Yeah. And I know that and I learned that at Bump Club. Um, you know, and then I hired the producer for the podcast because I don't know how to do that either. I mean, I'm sure I can figure it out, but my time is better spent elsewhere. So that is my advice to someone who's starting out is figure out what you can do and figure out what you can outsource. The other thing that I would say is create a process. So like I have a process for everything. I have a process for how I put my podcast on social media, how I engage with people on social media, how I repurpose my content. I have a process for what happens when I get that file after we do the interview. What is the process? What does it look like? And it's written down. You want to memorialize the process so that when you find someone, even if it's a virtual assistant, you can essentially hand it to them and say, this is what I need you to do. Like when my virtual assistant came in, I said, what she's doing for me right now is very tedious. I have a form that you can go online. You can submit yourself to be featured on our website and on our social media. She goes into that form. She picks 
picks who to feature, she puts it on the website, she creates assets, she puts them in a folder for me so they're ready to go so that I can just program them into social media. I probably will start having her program them into social media. But all I had to do was give her a document and say, here, Eden, here's what you need to do. This is how I've done it. So if you memorialize what it is you're doing, it makes turning it over so much easier. So you just described the old-fashioned gatekeeper, right? I mean, she's the one vetting the people yeah. that are going to get on the show that we called when we grew up in, you know, sales. It was called the gatekeeper. Yeah. Had to know that person. You know, that all has been shortcutted through this process. <clears throat> and then you just really talked about what I think is absolutely mission critical. A lot of times we all say we're too busy to memorialize, too busy to write it down. But that's the first step in scaling stuff, is the minute you write it down, you can transfer that knowledge. So you have done such a good job of <clears throat> kind of taking a new model, which is you know on internet marketing, so to speak, and really um, applying the rigor of what you grew up in in advertising sales. So are, are you just really salesy and businessy, or is all this learned and you're just a student of the game? I think it's a little bit of both, you know? I mean, I, I don't like to consider myself salesy. Actually, I when I'm online, I, I get real like, okay. cringe about like talking about my, my services to the point that I was editing a piece of content the other day when I was, ta I was talking about something that directly tied to my Instagram class and I didn't even mention the class. And I was like, I'm so stupid. I need to tie the class in, you know, because I, I don't do a good job talking about myself and selling myself. And that is something that I'm working on. So salesy, uh, I just think that I, I want to have taught myself how to do the social media piece. I've taught myself how to market. I've taught myself how to use social media to market. And on the marketing end, that's just what I, what I'm good at. I mean, that's, that's, what I've been doing for 25 years. I've been marketing brands. You know, even when I was in ad sales, it was marketing. Marketing, yeah. I mean, I was building programs for Fortune 500 companies that tied to the property I was selling. So it really wasn't like I was just selling a page in Good Housekeeping. Like yeah. I was selling a program. So Does that answer your question? Yes, okay. no, that was really helpful. As you look out, one of the goals that I always said would be cool would be to <clears throat> have another transaction and then have a second bite at the apple. For me, it's not the monetary piece because that's, you know, fortunately, like, you know, kind of checked off the list. It's the, it's the intellectual piece of being in a pool with way, way, way smarter people. Reality is we've both done it and you get into the pool and all that smartness you're looking for may not may not be there or it's just different it's not your culture whatever would you would you sell uh dear found her again you know if it, somebody comes to your doorstep and it's you know somebody early they want to buy it is that something you're interested in i don't know to be honest you know i think it depends on where i take it i would never say no to a question like that because you just don't know where things are going to go but it, i think it would have to be the right buyer it would have to be the right situation i will say with bump club like i was done I was done. I knew I wanted to be done. I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't want to bootstrap anymore. I, I didn't want to wake up worrying like, oh, am I going to be able to make payroll this week? I just, it was a lot and it was a lot of weight on me and I didn't want to do it anymore. And I didn't want to be in the baby space anymore. This is a little different because I will always be a founder and I will always be willing to help other founders. So I don't know. I don't know what this is going to look like.
Well, it's interesting because I hear the passion around this and that is usually something that lasts a little longer. And I think, you know, when you're done, you're done. That's a yeah. totally different part of the entrepreneur's journey. Lindsay, so today's marketing is so different than certainly what I grew up on. And I'm really so fascinated and interested in learning about it. Um, do you think a young entrepreneur can live in today's world and build their business without community? No, I don't. And I actually don't think there's enough community and I don't think there's enough value placed on community. I think for a long time, especially with direct-to-consumer brands, all of these DTC brands came out, they wanted to, they bought ads, they utilized that to make sales. And now what's happening is that's not really the way to go anymore. And when you click through an ad a lot of times and you go back to that person's website, to their Instagram page, whatever, there's nothing there. There's no organic content, there's no community, and that is the downfall for a lot of brands. You have to have community. When you have community surrounding your brand, they're your number one customers, they're your number one promoters. They're the, they're the lifeline of your business. And that was 100% exemplified through what I did with Bump Club. At the time, I didn't realize it. You know, So it's interesting, right? Yeah. Like when you're in it, you're just doing it, and it wasn't until after, when I started building Dear Founder, that I looked back at Bump Club and I said, well, what did I do that was really successful? What did I do that could save me time? What did I do that could build this second community even faster and better and bigger than the first time around? So what was the lessons? Because I'm always interested in how do you do it faster, bigger, better? So the first thing is you have to show up a lot and you have to connect with your community. I mean, that is number one, hands down. When I look back at Bump Club, there was no social media when I started. I mean, there was really none. So what did I do? Well, I showed up at my events. I showed up on our blog. We had a blog at the time. Um, and, you know, just around town. And I would talk to everyone. And people would people would come up to me on the streets and they'd be like, I read about your gestational diabetes. Oh my God, I have that too. I put myself out there. And so that was a really big piece of it. I didn't put myself out there on social media as much as I should have when social media was starting. When I did this the second time around, you can scroll on my Instagram and see exactly where my Instagram flipped because my new logo is right across. And it went from just a personal place for me to post my kids to a place where I was gonna share myself, share business tips, share my family and friends, share my podcast. And I do, I show up and I share, I talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and that bridges the connection. I mean, you, you can't just, show up and pretend to be all rainbows and unicorns and yeah. you have to really show up and share who you are and share like the stupid silly stuff you know i mean like i shared like my favorite easter candy the other day hundreds of people have answered that stupid poll i mean it's not necessarily the content you want but but it is the content that's necessary keeps them coming back keeps them coming back keeps them interested in you and it's also very very important to put your face on something people want to buy from people they don't want to buy from a logo so they need to know who is it and what do you stand for the other thing too that i think is really important is even if it I guess even if it's a little controversial controversial to share your viewpoints on things. And I have found that me sharing my viewpoints and who I am and what's important to me and my values, that is when I see the most growth on Instagram. That is when I see the most people engaging with me on Instagram. I see unfollows too, but that's okay. They're not the right people. Yeah. When I was at Bump Club, we always we always shared like 
we were never political. We were never political, but we always shared like, it's important to formula feed. It's important to understand that you can formula feed and breastfeed. It's important that you get your vaccinations. We shared those things, which can be deemed very controversial in right. the parenting space. People came after me every single time, but it, it doesn't matter. Like those are, those were important values that I wanted parents to have. When we were sold, I wasn't allowed to do that anymore. I mean, literally, I wasn't allowed to talk about a lot of the things that were very important to me. Um, when you think about what was going on in the summer of 2020, there yeah. was a lot going on socially, and I wanted to be very supportive of our the members of our community that were being impacted, and I was not allowed to do that. And that was kind of when I was like, this isn't mine anymore, because how can you have this community and not have values and not be tied to your community. So that is something too that I think is, I kind of just went on a tangent, but that is very important to put yourself out there and also be your true self and share yourself. It's a little bit of unlearning because I am, um, at least in sales, which is you know how I came up in my career, um, of course you could say, well, I don't know the answer, I'll ask the expert. But I learned so much and I would learn, do almost anything to learn every answer. So I never had to go ask the expert because I viewed like, well, that was even better value, more service. The opposite is when you say, hey, I don't know. These are my beliefs. These are things I stand for. You're unraveling this whole part of you that is very, very relevant in today's time. But it was so not relevant. Of course. Of course. But it, it's different <laughs> you know, now. It's like just it's a very different. So listening to you, you've adapted. You know, you've, you're very intentional about your strategy and kind of what you stand for. I think you would, I liked when you posted, like, you didn't care that people unfollowed you because in your view, that was like not the right community right. engaging on the right topic. So it's very bold business. If you had a gun to your head and you had to earn right now, this was your whole family's sole income, what would you do differently? Like do differently right now in the moment? Like just or differently in the business. Is there anything or not? You'd say, nope, it's a longer play. I'm doing it exactly the way it should be. You know, I, I do think it is a long run play. And I think like I've seen that over the last 18 months, you know, yes, when I first came out and said I'm taking clients, yes, I got clients. I mean, I... I would say no matter what tap into your network, every client of mine has come to me from my network. It's insane how, how it happens. But I have showed up, I have shared, I have educated. I have also shared a lot of knowledge and information that people pay me for. And you can't be afraid to share that stuff too because you gotta show your expertise. You have to show that you're an authority. You have to show that people can trust you. And it's like gelling now. Do you know what I mean? It's like now I'm getting like a constant stream of, inquiries for people who want my services because I've been putting out content for the last 18 months. Yes, I've had clients, yeah. but it's definitely something clicked within the last few months that it really kind of gelled. And I think that people are starting to also understand my messaging. Um, like I get stopped. I got stopped at Bright Bowls the other day, this woman who I know, and, and she said, oh my God, she goes, I just want you to know, I told my boss that we had to reintroduce ourselves on social media like every month, just like you say. And we started doing it and it's been really great for us. And then I got an email also this week from someone who said, I sent an introduction email to everyone I know, just like you say, when I switched careers recently, she goes, I've gotten three leads and I've gotten 15 responses in under an hour. I mean, and that's the same thing that I say over and over and over. So I think people now are just hearing it. Hearing it, yeah. 
Well, congratulations. It's an Thank you. absolutely, um, it's absolutely epic to do it once, but sure seems like you're on the journey to do it twice. And I, I think so. I've just found so much value in um, following your podcast. You give away tons and tons of great tidbits and um, we're going to get better and better because of it. And we appreciate you. you and all you're doing for women and, um, and the internet and marketing in general. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me and keep up the good work as well.